0: Hi everyone, this is your host, Julia Glotz. Welcome back to eFundamentals Digital Shelfcast, where we discuss how growth-driven CPGs can win in e-commerce at speed and scale. Every episode, I'm speaking with industry experts about the latest trends and challenges on the digital shelf, and how you can accelerate your growth online. Make sure you subscribe today so you don't miss out on any of our insight-packed episodes. Thanks for spending time with me today. Let's jump straight in. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Digital Shelfcast. It's great to have you with us. Today's episode focuses on the discipline of the category manager and how they must adapt to the new era of e commerce grocery. With the shift to e commerce, the ability to drive category growth online has become absolutely essential. But many category managers in CPG are finding the transition can be quite challenging. There are just so many new skills to acquire and so many new ways of working to get used to. So how can category managers close that skills gap and become effective at omni-channel category management? What principles, frameworks, and tools are there to guide their path to category growth in e-grocery? To help us answer these questions and many more, I'm joined by a fantastic expert guest. Jackie Lewis is Director of Content and Member Engagement at the Category Management Association. And it just so happens that the CMA has just published the first chapter of a new industry-leading report called Catman 3.0 Omnichannel Category Management. We're super excited to get a first look at the new framework that the CMA has developed designed to guide CPG organization in this rapidly changing landscape. So, Jackie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Now, before we dive into the discussion and your new framework, we always like to quiz our guests a little bit on their own online shopping habits. So tell us, what's the last item you bought online and what was the experience like?
1: Oh, I love talking about online shopping. Um, so I've I've been buying actually the majority of my apparel. So my clothes online for, I'd say at least 10 years now. Um, I'm very tall. I'm six feet tall. So I can get extended sizing that way. So um, the last thing I bought was probably jeans or pants, I would say an extra long. Um, but I shop at a variety of sites from you know, Amazon to specific clothing sites like ASOS and and Old Navy. Um, I have my go-to ones where I just go right off the bat, select my size, or right? I don't even look at the assortment until my size is selected, and then go from there.
0: So it makes it pretty easy, but I'm kind of the industry vet in that way. Fantastic. And it's just that <laughs> ability to have all the sizes you could possibly want available as opposed to relying on your specific store locally stocking that size. So
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah. Great. So as I mentioned in the introduction, the CMA has just published the first chapter of a new framework to guide category managers in the omni-channel age. Before we go into detail of this new framework, can you just tell our listeners a bit about the Category Management Association? Who are you? What's your mission? Who are your members? Yeah, yeah, of course. So we are an international professional
1: association that's really dedicated to elevating and evolving um, the category management profession specifically. So not to be confused with a trade association that also does lobbying in Washington. Um, We are solely devoted to providing, you know, thought leadership, industry collaboration, uh, professional development, and industry best practices in category management. Um, We have about 230 corporate members across uh, CPG companies, right? So the Hershey's, the Cloroxes of the world, uh, to other consumer goods companies in hard lines, general merchandise. Uh, Newell Brands is a big member of ours that has been for a while. And then uh, we also have retailers as members. So Walmart, Home Depot, Ajo Del uh, And then finally, the last group of our members are what we call solution providers. So they're companies like Nielsen and Numerator, really those companies that sell data or services into the first uh, two groups. Uh, we also have a sister association under the same umbrella called the Shopper Insights Management Association that has a separate board and objectives, but is really closely aligned with the CMA as you know, many times Catman and Shopper Insights are really one combined department uh, at CPG and retail companies. And as we'll talk about a little bit as we kind of go forward in the conversation, but the new first step in the Catman process is insights immersion, right? So very intertwined with uh, with the shopper insights discipline as well.
0: Absolutely. And as you say, we will get on to talking about that in in much more detail a little later on in the conversation. But let's just turn to your report and this new framework that you've developed Just give us a sense of why did you feel it was important to create a new updated framework for category managers at this moment in time? What is happening in the industry that made you and your members go, we need to update the framework and provide fresh guidance for category managers? Yeah, yeah. So the the process itself, the Catman process, quote unquote, has
1: really been around for about 30 years now, so it's extremely established in the retail industry. Uh, and though it was updated in 2016, so what we called Catman 2.0, uh, it still really largely defined the process for the brick and mortar environment. So it was really excluding a lot of the complexities of alternative fulfillment methods like click and collect and peer play e-commerce. So the CMA's executive board actually identified the need for this update um, prior to the pandemic, which of course kind of exacerbated the need for this real omni-channel process as more retail sales moved online during the pandemic. which is some of the traditional steps like scorecarding and tactics, we're in dramatic need of a refresh. So we started actually right after the first of the year. So this year, 2021, um, and I've really been working on it ever since then. So it's been quite a long process, but with seven or eight steps that need revisions and updating and and all of that, it it does take some time. So.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting that you make this point about how the process actually started before the pandemic, because of course, people will think about COVID having changed the dynamic in the industry quite a bit. But you were starting to see that actually there was a need developing long before COVID. What were perhaps some of the factors that influenced the need to update that existing framework? Were there any particular things that happened within CPG or the wider US retail landscape that made you go, Actually, we do need to look at that framework again.
1: Yeah, it was already, you know, retail sales and the penetration of sales online was was already creeping up, you know, in categories like apparel, you're seeing upward of 50% of sales online in some cases, right? Um, down all the way to grocery, which was more like maybe three or 5% penetrated online pre-pandemic. So there was kind of a wide range, but depending on what category you were in, but I think our board said, hey, we see where this is going, where the puck's going, which means we need to reassess the process. And like I said, some of those really, really like critical steps, like building a scorecard for your category, all just had brick and mortar metrics that we were measuring in the scorecard, right? And so they were saying, hey, there's steps like this where even though maybe we're 3% of sales online today in grocery, it could be 10% long term, right? So that's the way we were thinking pre-pandemic. And then, of course, the pandemic just accelerated the adoption and even the lower penetrated categories like grocery. So what was three to 5% bumped to maybe nine, right? And then it really kind of pushed us forward to say, hey, let's get going on these updates because um, the pandemic really accelerated the adoption of online shopping across categories.
0: got it and you've already talked about your board of course being absolutely central in the creation of the report here but who else was involved and what was the actual creation process like yeah yeah so we um we
1: recruited a really fantastic group of 12 representatives from a variety of retailers and manufacturer members of the cma that we knew were experienced in the process and very acutely aware of its limitations uh, to be a part of this group. And it was surprisingly easy to recruit for the project. I think practitioners were really eager to help evolve the process that they were using day in and day out for kind of today's world. Uh, So the group included companies like Unilever, Tyson, Artera Wines, uh, Wakefern is a grocer here in the U.S., uh, Lowe's, obviously, uh, Home Improvement. Um, retailer, uh, Nielsen, the data provider, and more. And so it was a very diverse group. Uh, We would meet a couple times a month. Uh, Eventually, after we discussed the process and kind of the the graphical representation of the process as a whole, we then broke out into smaller subgroups to tackle each new step of the process in more detail. And then once we had a draft um, of all of the kind of revised steps, In prose, we took that to the CMA executive board for their approval and their comments and feedback, just to make sure that they felt like we were on the right track with the updates that we were making. And then we finally came back all together as a big group in September to really finalize and start the the publishing process, which, like you said, we have um, one chapter out. And then uh, the last, we have actually the second chapter we published last week. So we're up to two of seven. (laughs) So...
0: Fantastic. And if we were to compare Catman 2.0 and Catman 3.0, what are perhaps the top three things that are different about the new framework? Yeah. Um,
1: So I'd say first off, you know, our new process really puts the shopper first by adding insights immersion as our new step one. Uh, Previously in Catman 2.0, insights were not brought into the process until step four or five. So uh, that was a big miss that I feel like our group identified right off the bat. Uh, The other big change is our new graphic is now uh, circular in nature versus very linear, right? You go from step one to two to three to four. Um, Now we really wanted to make it circular to show kind of a fluidity with which companies can move in and out of specific steps, kind of depending on what their stage in the process is and their own unique category management discipline that they might have internally. Uh, we we know that many companies already have their own tweaked process for Catman that's maybe specific to their category and unique. So we want them to be able to kind of reference this document as they see fit um, and say, hey, if I, you know, I have my alignment step really figured out, but I don't have a great scorecard. Let me just jump into that step and take what I need from it and come back out. Um, And then lastly, I'd say our new step five, uh, tactics, is probably the most robust. Uh, We provide a lot of detail on how each of the four Ps has really evolved and ways to manage the complexities of those four Ps in the digital world right for product placement pricing and promotion um, all of those have really been upended by the e-commerce world and so we've got a, a, a good robust chapter around all four of those and and what to do about the complexities so
0: fantastic and you've already started touching on this but how would you recommend CPG companies and category managers use the new framework? in practice as part of what they're doing on on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah, yeah. We don't want this to just be kind of an academic exercise, right? Exactly. We want it to be useful. Um, It's really meant to be a tactical document. Uh, We do have a suggested order of steps for any retailer or brand um, partnership kind of together to follow. I'd say for companies that are new, brand new to category management altogether, this document will serve as a really great starting point for establishing a good category management process and discipline. For those that might be seasoned in the discipline already, um, I'd say each step can be reviewed in relation to your current process, and just kind of advise on adjustments as needed. Um, so like I was saying, maybe you have a great scorecard um, but and your tactical plans are working really well, but maybe you, are, you feel like getting internal or external alignment on the plan earlier is kind of lacking, right? So you can jump right to step three and kind of address that. Um, or maybe you don't do much shopper work on the front end of the, your process to really educate the way you're defining your category, right? Just skip right to step one and look at our insights emerging, look at you know, the research that we suggest completing, and then go from there. Um, We want companies to be able to jump in and out of the document for these types of practical tips on how to execute any given step without it being too long or sort of cumbersome a document to actually be useful. All the chapters are under five pages in length. So um, hopefully we struck that right balance between you know enough detail to be helpful but not so much detail that nobody's ever going to use it <laughs>
0: <laughs> and i think just limiting every chapter to um five pages or fewer i think definitely uh, will be music to the ears i think of many very busy category managers who, who just don't have the time to sort of read you know uh, reams and reams of copy on there so it sounds like you've really prioritized making this a tool as opposed to a, a, a document that sort of uh, gets forgotten somewhere
1: absolutely yeah
0: Hey, while well, we're taking a quick break, Chloe from eFundamentals has got something we wanted to tell you.
2: Here's a question for you. Are you drowning in data about your e-commerce performance but not sure what to do with it? Do you really know what's impacting your online sales growth across major retailers? If you've answered yes, you need to check out eFundamentals right now. They provide you with all the digital shelf analytics you need to achieve e-commerce success at speed and scale eFundamentals takes everything that is fundamentally important to driving e-commerce performance and displays it in one easy to use platform that breaks down the key performance areas that help you and your team stay totally focused. Combined with industry-leading human insights from experienced CPGs, our customer success team get you up and running quickly with no setup costs and act as your partner to unlock repeatable growth year after year. Plus, it gives you a full category view so you can benchmark your category performance across retailers and see immediately when your competitors make a move, empowering your frontline teams to act with a level of category intelligence no other platform can offer. It's no surprise, clients see an average ROI of 12 times using their service. After all, eFundamentals was built by experienced CPGs who know exactly what's needed to drive performance today. Head to eFundamentals.com slash podcast today and see it in action for yourself. Trust me, you need eFundamentals.
0: You've already talked about what you've done around updating your seven-step process and making this more circular as opposed to linear. Could you perhaps pull out a few other nuggets from that first chapter that has now been published? Just a few takeaways that our listeners uh, should be aware of.
1: Yeah, for sure. So the new step one uh, is really a key feature of the new process. So um, our group, like I said, was very adamant that that be included first and foremost. And the goal is for insights and really the shopper wants and needs to be guiding the decisions made throughout the process, right? Instead of maybe using our decisions at our you know, brands or retailers to attempt to guide shoppers down a path that suits us, right? Um, a truly shopper-led approach is, is, of course, a win-win for all parties, uh, but I think that sometimes can be lost in, in practice. So we really wanted to make sure we were pointing that out. And this chapter discusses why the Catman process needs to start with insights, how to populate what we call an insights library. Uh, so like I mentioned, some of those specific research and studies that you can complete And then how to leverage the the omni-channel shopper framework, which is another document that the CMA published earlier in the year uh, within this Insights Immersion step. Um, So the seven-step process includes... Some of the same steps as CapMan 2.0, I would say, in terminology, like category definition, scorecarding, but updated really with omni-channel in mind. And so we also combined internal and external alignment into one step, uh, but continuous collaboration between retailers and manufacturers is really critical to the success of the process. Um, that's also emphasized within the circle, of the new process graphic. And then finally, I'd say a key call out to the new process is we added this measure, learn, and change step to the end um, to clearly outline kind of how ongoing evaluation is key. And that was also not included in CapMint 2.0. So a couple other kind of overarching things that we changed in addition to adding insights immersion for step one.
0: Now, that's incredibly helpful. And I know just on that point about insights immersion, I know my friends at eFundamentals will be absolutely delighted to see just (laughs) how much focus there is on that. I just want to go back to the point that you made about how um, you wanted to just really spell out the importance of insights immersion in an omnichannel age. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, can you just explain, or from your perspective, we hear so many CPG organizations talk about starting with a shopper and being incredibly focused on insights. And yet the reality of actually applying those insights and being genuinely shopper focused in practice, that doesn't always marry up. Why do? You, where do you think that gap or that disconnect sometimes comes from? And how can having this uh, insights immersion step essentially as part of your seven step process help CPGs be really focused on the shopper as they start their category management process. Yeah, I think
1: it's hard um, to answer the first part of that. I mean, it's hard when you have these pre-existing kind of definitions of your category and understanding Mm. of your category as you go into this. Like nobody really starts the process with like, typically it's rare, right? For those, there not to be some version of your category and what products constitute the category in your head as you enter it, right? Um, So I think that's made it challenging to really make sure that the insights are driving the definition and then all the subsequent steps. Because, you know, the main thing is your category could be shifting, right, or blurring kind of right under your nose. And so if you can be the first to recognize that happening, it could prove incredibly lucrative in the long run. Um, So I think, you know, the insights immersion really becomes foundational to starting the process. But again, it can be um, difficult because you know, it's hard to kind of leave our preconceived notions about what constitutes the category um, that we we already have going into starting it.
0: Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. What would you say then are some of the tools that can help category managers access relevant insights and relevant data? Because again, a common problem that we hear is that Actually, CPG teams are drowning in data and it's about making sense of the noise and identifying the data and the insights that are really going to help move the needle. What tools would you recommend?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely a tough one. Um, We have our members coming to us with that question all the time. I mean, there's so many different data sources, right? And everything is becoming more costly to invest in. So what data do I buy? What data do I really need? And what maybe do I don't? um, And how to get the most out of it? I'd say, you know, I don't think it's a one size fits all, meaning I don't think every brand should buy, you know, these five sources of data and that's it. Like it kind of depends on what you need to know, right? So a UNA or usage, usage and attitude survey maybe serves a different purpose than a brand health tracker, for example. So, you know, figuring out where you're maybe lacking in your understanding of your shopper, and then focusing and investing on that area first. Um, In addition to sort of certainly some of the, you know, basic tools like category performance and POS data and market share data and things like that, that are kind of um, cost of entry at this point, I would say, in the industry. So...
0: And staying with Insights, in your report, you also call out the need for an Insights library, and you mentioned this a little earlier already, which you describe as something that manufacturers and retailers can create together. Can you just talk about this in a little bit more detail and tell us how it might work in practice?
1: Yeah, Yeah, so we we lay out uh, really the different research and data types in in chapter one or step one, uh, starting from a macro level, kind of down to a real micro level, very category or brand specific. Um, Many of the data sources like panel data uh, can now be sourced right from the retailer directly. And that wasn't even true, you know, a few years ago. So um, I think every data team uh, or every team probably should have a base provider of that overall market data and then a segmentation kind of at a minimum. Um, and then you work with third parties kind of in a supplemental way to really complete some of the research that we suggest is also an option. Like I said, kind of things like a u a survey or a brand health tracker, again, depending on where you might be lacking or, or missing knowledge. But it is interesting how the market has changed to be um, that the retailer is the source of a lot of this data now that can be purchased directly from them. Because like I said, that wasn't really the case even a few years ago. So...
0: And and more generally, then, how would you suggest category managers use your framework when working with retailers? What's the most effective way of bringing this framework into play?
1: Yeah. I think it's really like I said. I mean, think about the process that you have internally. Assuming you're doing some sort of um, version of the steps today, right? You're you're collecting insights um, to then build a category definition. Um, then you have meetings with your your partner, right? Whether you're the retailer and you're meeting with your brands or vice versa, um, you create a scorecard and goals together. Um, and this is kind of me just summarizing all the steps, you know, in general, right, but um, kind of go through each one after you scorecard, and then you determine what tactics right are going to get you there and allow you to achieve those goals. Then there's plan implementation, which is very tactical. Who does what, right? Once we figure out what promotions, what pricing, et cetera, Um, then tactically, who's going to implement that plan? And then again, measure, learn, and change and make sure you're ready to kind of pivot on the fly. Um, I think it's about, you know, thinking about your current process uh, that you do internally, assuming you have one, and which of those steps are you doing really well today? Which ones maybe you want to refresher on? And then jumping into those steps and those chapters within the Document, and hopefully there'll be some tips and tidbits in there that can kind of optimize the process that you're already doing. Or if you're new to category management and you you know your company's growing or you're a new brand, um, then you can kind of take maybe a more literal approach to the process where you really follow us step by step along with us, right? And we can help you um, kind of set up a Catman discipline and process internally from, from the very start, which is fun too. So...
0: Fantastic. Now, I want to just delve into a line in the opening paragraph to your first chapter, because I think it touches on some really interesting issues that I'd like to just get your your views on in a little bit more detail. Yeah. So here's what that opening line says. As omnichannel grows in importance, it is not just channels that are blurring, but categories as well. And then a little bit further down, you're encouraging readers to ask the fundamental question, how has the shopper lens to my category changed? And I know we've talked about the importance of insights immersion quite a bit and starting with that shopper, but could you just explain this notion of the shopper lens changing in a little bit more detail? How are category lines blurring and how does that then mean shopper lenses are changing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so step two of the process actually goes into really great detail on this. It's really around the complexity of defining categories for different channels and for retailers and outside the confines of physical space, which is also complex in the omni-channel environment too. Uh, so we all know, I think uh, by now that retail channels are blurring, right? You can. Buy snacks right at home improvement stores, and you can buy tools at Aldi in their special buys aisle, right? Um, but I think what we're talking about here is how categories can blur as well. Um, We talk about the yogurt category as our kind of test case in step two, um, specifically as a good one, right? In a physical store, it's a subcategory of dairy always, Mm -hmm. right? Because it has to be refrigerated. Um, But online, it can really be organized maybe within protein snacks, right? Or under a broad category like brunch, for example where you've got you know, a mimosa recipe and you've got yogurt and you've got fruit. So um, in chapter two or step two, we really talk about how to reconcile these different differing definitions by manufacturer, retailer, data provider, and then for online versus offline. And I think we make the point that it's okay to have differing definitions as long as you're on the same page with your retail partner as to who your items fall under from a buyer perspective. Um, but it's really about just letting that shopper insights guide how to form your category definition and how to organize it. And then making sure, like I said, there's alignment, but it's okay if there's differing definitions across you know, different channels or at different retail customers, um, which was not the case in the past. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and I'm really interested here, in, in this process, is that also where you would expect CPGs to bring in the omni-channel shopper framework, which is another framework that the CMA has and which you've touched on a little earlier? Can you just talk a little bit about how that omni-channel shopper framework would work side by side with this Catman framework that you've developed?
1: Yeah, yeah. A lot of frameworks, a lot of terminology. Mm-hmm. It's kind of confusing. Um, but yeah, so that framework too was, um, was actually created as a precursor um, to this work group, this Catman 3.0 work group. Um, we published it back in January, and it was really had the goal of understanding um, four important components that describe omnichannel shoppers and their behaviors, kind of regardless of, of where they're shopping. And so these components um, are the the shopper journey. We identified four steps of the journey, then shopper mindsets. um, Also four of these, uh, each that we identified as distinct shopper mindsets when they're shopping with different goals. And then that kind of created a matrix, right? So there were 16 kind of unique intersection points between what mindset you're in and then what journey stage you're in. Um, And then finally, there were a list of kind of shopper decisions over on the right-hand side. So I'd say category management and shopper insights professionals can use the framework to review their custom shopper journeys. Um, and map their own shopper segments, size them appropriately across channels, and then really identify the most costly gaps. And I'd say in the past, a lot of times, companies segment shoppers um, by what channel they're in, right? So Mm. instead of a mindset, like as a shopper, what am I trying to solve? Am I trying to restock my shelf at home and buy the same product I've always bought? Or am I trying to educate and learn and kind of discover a new product? That's kind of the shopper mindsets we identified that we're agnostic to channel. And it's much different than the way a lot of companies do their segmentation today. Um, but ultimately, it's to help really identify both online and offline tactics that address these kind of needs Um, depending on, again, the mindset versus just what channel they're in. Um, So it's a little hard to explain, I think, without seeing the graphic, but hopefully you get the idea that that was kind of a new way to think about shopper segmentation and a helpful way for our members to think about the way they're doing their shopper research on the front end. So
0: Absolutely. And if we go back to this example of someone new to category management, their starting point should definitely be, the new Catman 3.0 framework and then bring in the omnichannel shopper framework as and when that is required? Is that how you would recommend someone sort of make sense of of the process and and makes it manageable?
1: Absolutely. Like if you're new to it, um, you probably don't have a lot of really detailed or up-to-date shopper segmentation at all. And so that should definitely be a key piece of your insights immersion, right? Is to conduct some research on shopper mindsets and what stage of the journey they're in, whatever channel they're in and where you're leaking, right? That would be what segmentation is for. What segments are you killing it on or is everyone restocking your product all the time versus are there any new people to the category? You know, identifying those types of things in your research early on then helps educate the process from there. So absolutely. It's a great starting point um, for people that are new to the the process at all. So
0: And how important generally is a test and learn approach in the context of your framework and in the context of making omni-channel category management a success more generally? Again, when I talk to my friends at eFundamentals here, they'll often talk about testing and learning being absolutely essential to succeeding in the omni-channel. But could you perhaps share your perspective of how CPGs can cultivate a test and learn mindset And if you perhaps have any examples that might illustrate the importance of that willingness to try new things and test and learn.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'd say there aren't um, any specific steps in the new Catman 3.0 process that address test and learn, but the last step certainly being, you know, measure, learn, and change is kind of comes in that same vein. Um, I'd also mention that the measure, learn, and change step informs the insights immersion again, right? Because we're a circle and that's the last step back to the first step. So there's probably a lot of instances in the digital environment um, to really more quickly adjust, you know, tactics and influence implementation um, on the fly without necessarily revisiting earlier steps. Like we don't have to redefine the category necessarily, right? But we might, you know, find something um, in the digital environment that makes us tweak um, tactics. So I'll give you an example. Um, one of the, uh, the companies in the work group uh, are Terra Wines. Um, they, you know, there's there's ability in the digital world to group products differently than you might be able to in store. And so the brunch example was actually his, where they were able to test including some like champagnes and some different wines um, within the like brunch grouping on a website. Mm. Um, And then it proved to be really, really successful. So there was a couple of different types of champagnes and wines that sold really well as grouped that way. And then they quickly kind of adjusted, like I said, the tactics of space, right? Um, Product, place, price, promotion, right? So product and place is what products and where do they go? They, you know, pivoted on the fly to some of their brick and mortar stores and moved some of those wines and champagnes um, to be grouped together with other like brunch products in physical stores because of the success they found online really quickly. Um, And then we're able to kind of, you know, sell a lot more of those specific varieties in stores as well. Um, so that's kind of an example of like a test and learn, right? It's easy to test things online because you can just regroup something. You don't have to have someone physically do a reset in the store, um, found what was successful and then implemented it in the store um, and then got success that way. So hopefully that makes sense. But that was a, a real life example that was brought up in that group that I thought was a really interesting one.
0: Yeah, I think it's super interesting. I'm so pleased that you were able to share that because I think, as you say, it really brings to light not just why it's important to test and learn, but also how testing online can ultimately then result in some real changes in brick and mortar stores as well. So I'm really really glad that you were able to bring us that example. Now, I've quizzed you a lot on your opening chapter today. (laughs) um, But of course, we're super excited to hear more about what to expect from the rest of the report as well. And you said actually chapter two is now out. Can you give our listeners just a bit of a sneak peek on the topics and some of the key findings that are covered in in the rest of the report? Yeah, yeah.
1: So uh, like you said, we did release step two last week. That's all around category definitions. Um, After that will come internal and external alignment. So really some tips on how suppliers and retailers first meet with their teams and then each other to gain alignment and set strategies. So we have recommendations in there of who should be in the meeting, what should be covered, um, what should be kind of the key um, takeaways and next steps after each of these meetings, what should be agreed upon kind of. Uh, After that comes uh, goal setting and scorecarding. Then tactics, the four P's, uh, then plan implementation, and then finally that measure, learn, and change that we talked about. Uh, so we'll be releasing those remaining chapters every about three to four weeks or so over the coming months. And then that's all going to really culminate in an entire track of content uh, at the CMA's annual conference, which will be live in Orlando, Florida, uh, the last week of February. So, February. I think 28th through March 2nd. Uh, And at the conference, we're gonna have case studies and members of our group really deep diving into all the steps and bringing them to life, right? So beyond just the prose that's written out in these PDFs, uh, they're gonna be kind of up there live as part of one of our content tracks. I think the Artera Wine is gonna present on their insights immersion. So like I said, really bringing it to life with some case studies and some real life examples. so I'd say stay tuned for steps three through seven to be released between now and February and then that big deep dive again at conference. So hopefully I'm sure any fundamentals will be there, but hopefully others that are listening to can can join us in Orlando so.
0: Fantastic. Yes, I'm pretty certain they're going to be there. (laughs) Now, before we come to our final question, can you just tell our listeners a bit about where they can access the report as of when it's being released and also where they can follow the CMA for more insights on category management?
1: Yeah, definitely. So the report is available uh, at this point to members of the CMA only. So if you are a member, just head to our website, uh, catman.global, and log in kind of through that top right-hand corner of your screen. There's a button where you can click user login. Uh, If you'd like more information about becoming a member, uh, you can fill out an inquiry right on our website under the, the membership tab. Or I'd say if it's easier to just send me an email, Uh, Jackie.lewis at catman.global and I can get you to the right person. Uh, We do have various levels of membership depending on kind of your company size and what your needs might be. Uh, So just shoot us a note and we can talk then. And um, conference is open to everyone members and non. uh, And registration is now open for conference as well. So um, there's a link to that on our website also. But if you'd like to kind of see some of this stuff come to life and and come to Florida, um, that would be another way to kind of access some of the content as well.
0: Fantastic. Now we like to finish our episodes by asking our guests to share one essential piece of advice with our listeners. And we call this your hashtag 22nd smarts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Jackie, what is your one essential piece of advice for our listeners on how to succeed at category management in this new digital commerce era? Yeah, um, this
1: is a tough one um, because it's just, there's so many you know directions you could go. I think I guess I would say most importantly to, you know, embrace some of the functional areas maybe outside of traditional category management. Um, You know, if you have the opportunity to shadow someone, maybe in shopper marketing or, you know, include some of your supply chain folks in a meeting, I'd say do it. Uh, If the pandemic showed us anything, it was that category management needs to be more fluid and flexible. I, you know, the best category plan can be totally upended if you don't have 75% of your product to put on the shelves, right? So, you know, don't operate in a vacuum, especially when it comes to e-commerce, there's a lot of blurring lines between who handles what within the four P's. Um, so, you know, as much as you can incorporate those shopper insights and tactics and evaluation um, that includes the e-commerce world, the better. Um, take the opportunity to, you know, network with those folks in shopper marketing that might be determining what promotions go online or things like that. Um, You know, lines are gonna, I think, continue to blur between functions of who handles what. Um, Look at merchandising, right? Typically a core category management responsibility does fall more on shopper marketing in the digital world today, placing ads, determining search terms. So I think it's just gonna continue to blur. And I think thinking outside the traditional category management box will just make us all, you know, in our discipline better for it. So hopefully that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, fantastic. Jackie, thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you for a great conversation. Of course, thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Digital Cast from eFundamentals. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and got some useful tips for how to navigate your brand's success on the digital shelf. If you're facing a particular challenge online or you want to learn more about how to leverage digital shelf analytics to drive e-commerce growth at speed and scale, then why not book a free consultation with the eFundamentals team? Simply visit www.efundamentals.com forward slash podcast and book your free consultation. You'll also find the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, we'd also appreciate it if you could give us a rating and leave a review. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.